So glad you're with us for the Tuesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We have good, bad, and crazy martinis for you as usual. And Jim, we have a Republican nominee in the race for governor in Virginia this year. Of course, Virginia and New Jersey, the only two states with gubernatorial races this year. So they always get uh, quite a bit of attention. They're often seen as a referendum on the recently elected, or in some cases, re-elected president of the United States. And so... In Virginia, historically, although not always, uh, if the Democrat wins the presidential election, Republicans usually do pretty well in the governor's race and vice versa. And so since uh, Joe Biden is the president and things are getting worse on a number of fronts, you'd think the Republicans might have a better shot. Uh, Seven candidates uh, running for governor. It was not a primary. It was called a disassembled convention, I think. In other words, you didn't have a typical convention where everybody comes to an arena or a conference in a hotel ballroom or something and just uh, hashes it out ballot after ballot till you have somebody with a majority. Uh, This one, you had a number of uh, voting sites in the 11 congressional districts. Uh, The one I went to, you could either drive through or or walk up like you would normally would at a polling place. We did the drive through. Uh, which took a while uh, because it turns out the people who went and got your ballot were required to stand in line behind the people who were coming to vote in person. So it took a little while uh, to get the ballots out to the cars, but it got done. And after a number of rounds, uh, Glenn Youngkin, uh, never a candidate before, former CEO of the Carlisle Group, is the GOP nominee. Uh, Beat out Pete Snyder in the final round uh, and in the Round before that, they knocked out Amanda Chase, who uh, branded herself as either Trump in heels or Trump in a skirt or something like that. Uh, She has made noise about running as an independent, although since she was not the top vote getter in any round of of the the ranked choice process, uh, as they called it, uh, she doesn't really have many grounds to stand on. So, uh, Jim, it's a tough road to hoe for the uh, Republican nominee in Virginia for a number of reasons. Uh, Number one, is it even possible for a Republican to win in Virginia anymore? Uh, Number two, uniting uh, who you will need to get to win is tough because you've got uh, uh, very pro-Trump voters uh, outside of Northern Virginia and Hampton Roads and some of the Richmond suburbs, Uh, but you're going to need those voters too. So you got to have kind of a balancing act. And uh, I think if anybody can pull it off or come close, it's probably Yunkin. Yeah, there's some reason to uh, feel some confidence for this from uh, for Virginia Republicans. It could have gone worse. And in many recent cycles, it has gone worse. So that's the first one. I think I, I like Pete Snyder. There was a bunch of uh, compelling candidates in here. Uh, Youngkin does not seem to be the worst of them, does not seem to be the best of them. We'll see how things go. Uh, you know, some like, I guess I, probably the best case scenario um, when Larry Hogan came along uh, in May, across the river in Maryland, um, there were not a lot of people who saw him as the likely victor in the 2014 uh, gubernatorial race out of Maryland. I kept saying he looked like he should be running a hardware store in Wisconsin or something like that. Um, but there were a lot of people who were fed up with the Democratic governance in Maryland. He had this really terrific ad that talked about how we're the only state in the country that taxes the rain. Um, it's a good, there's about runoff uh, regulations and things like that. It was one of those things where it was able to say in a very simple direct terms to a whole bunch of people in a state that was still pretty darn democratic leaning, hey, things have gone wrong. Things are going in a direction you don't want them to go in. And even though I'm not from the party you usually vote for, I'm not like the mean, scary ones in the national scene. I am my own man. I want to do what's best for the state. Here's my record in business. I think of myself as a job creator. Here's what I'm going to do. And it worked. 
And it completely caught the Democrats uh, off guard and they were blindsided. Now, maybe that's the sort of thing that's easier to do in a midterm election year when, uh, you know, the, the state parties and the state committees are paying attention to a whole bunch of races all at once. This is going to be a closely watched race because the Virginia gubernatorial race, along with New Jersey, are always extremely closely watched because they're off year. There's nothing else going on other than, you know, some uh, early murmurs for the midterm elections and things like that. So let me give you a, one or two quick points of why Republicans can feel somewhat optimistic. Um, the issue of reopening schools has given Republicans a golden opportunity and maybe the sort of thing that uh, if, if they can't you know, galvanize people on this, if they can't get traction on this, they really should pack up and, and just quit. That This is one of those things where by and large, most Democrats in the state stood with the teachers unions, by and large, most Republicans in the state were like, okay, look, we can do this safe. This is ridiculous. Um, and this certainly in my neck of the woods stirred up parents. Um, I, my guess, you know, the, the, here's the, now the good news is most schools are reopening, but I think you can beat the drum on this and you can say, look, our kids have more or less a lost year. And they have this not because entirely because of the pandemic, because the private schools managed to open up la back last fall. Um, you know, we, we were capable of doing this. We chose not to do this because so many Democrats were under the knuckles of the teachers union and afraid to tell them things they didn't want to hear. And this has hurt our kids. Man, if you can't make, you know, gain traction on that, what can you? Um, and then just generally, you know, the, there's this off year election process where the party that wins the White House usually does badly in these first gubernatorial elections because, uh, with a Democrat in the White House, Democratic grassroots are going to get a little more complacent, a little more laid back, not quite as fired up as they were when Trump was the president. And meanwhile, Republicans are more fired up and more excited and more determined to uh, uh, to go out and you know say, hey, I can't believe what they're doing in this state. So it, it's one of those things where this is you know this this historical pattern is a slight breeze in the Republicans' back. We'll see how this shakes out. And the uh, the one other thing I would just kind of note, and and I I don't know. I'd like to think that Youngkin can uh, try to try to you know you know think think of Northern Virginia as fertile fields. I know that uh, back the last time Republican won uh, Bob McDonald, he luckily had enough roots where he had you know grown up here in uh, Northern Virginia. He went to Liberty University. He had been uh, state attorney general in Richmond. He had lived in, in just about every part of the state at one point or another in his life. So I think he ran, you know, he ran, you know, Northern Virginia's own where the yard signs up here. I know that around Liberty University, the signs were talking about his connections there. You know, I would like to see Craig Young can make a serious effort here in Northern Virginia. I know everyone say, oh, what are you talking about? It's where all the Democrats live. Yeah, but there are a bunch of Republicans who live here too. And you don't need to win Northern Virginia. You just need to keep the margins close. And oh, by the way, I would remind you, Bob McDonald actually won Fairfax County. And that same year, Ken Cuccinelli, who you know, within a couple of years was being demonized as the, the most crazy right-wing Christian extremist you could ever imagine, Ken Cuccinelli, I believe, won something like 47, 48% here in Fairfax County. Now, if you're a Republican and you can get to 47, 48%, you're going to win statewide. You're, you're going to more than make up for the loss downstate and out of the West and all that. The bigger deal here is that you just can't concede a state that has, or the part of the state that has, I believe as of, I'm gonna look at these numbers, July, 2019, uh, approximately 37% of the state's population lives in Northern Virginia. And it's just growing further and further, even with the pandemic. So it's one of those things like you can't, 
you can't concede the most populated part of the state. And that means you're going to have to campaign here. It means you're going to have to spend money here. And you don't expect to win it. You just have to grow up, you know, to keep those margins close enough. We will see what happens, Greg, but uh, I'm reasonably optimistic. I wouldn't count on it, but I do believe that Republicans have something of a shot this cycle, which was not a guarantee uh, heading into this uh, heading into this year. Yeah, be curious to see the energy. I remember four years ago when it was Northam versus Gillespie, and the polls pretty much showed a dead heat, but the energy, since Trump had just been elected and uh, Northern Virginia, much of it was not a big fan of his. Uh, the intensity went for Northam, and he went ended up winning by like nine points. Um, it's been 12 years since McDonald won. I think Northern Virginia has gotten considerably bluer since then. So 47%, I think, would be, if you could do that, you'd be doing really, really well. I think if you can get even north of 40 uh, or even right around 40, You'd probably be doing pretty well, especially if you can uh, get high turnouts in the in the stronger Republican areas. But uh, we'll find out. I know whenever we talk Virginia politics, we have some listeners saying, guys, it's a blue state. Forget it. And I'm thinking, well, we'll find out this year. If, if Youngkin runs a solid campaign and still gets thrashed by Terry McAuliffe, then uh, then there'll be more evidence, uh, certainly, of that. The the downside is, is I really expected McAuliffe to have uh, an ugly primary fight, and that just hasn't happened. He's he's trashing the field, and their primary is next month, and it's not expected to be close. So Yeah, let's just kind of throw out there, though, Greg, that, like, blue states are blue until the day they aren't, right? I mean, <laughs> nobody expected Larry Hogan was going to win in 2014, and he did. Nobody expected Chris Christie was going to win in 2009, and he did, right? You know, blue states remain, but Scott Walker in Wisconsin, right? There, there's this sense of, um, people think that a state is turning really, really blue until the Democratic Party overreaches and you reach a point where even the point where people who had been thought of themselves as either loyal Democrats or drifting in that direction are like, oh my God, I can't come over. They're, they're running the state into the ground. And all of a sudden it turns into, uh, they start, okay, I'll do, you know, Rudy Giuliani back in 1993. It's not like New York City was full of Republicans then. But David Dinkins had run the place into the ground so badly that, you know, like all of a sudden, okay, fine, we'll try it. We'll do it. The only circumstance in which Bobby Jindal could have been elected governor of her, uh, of Louisiana was after Hurricane Katrina, when the state was so devastated. When states get into really bad situations, you know, they start rethinking. Hey, wait a minute. Maybe it's time. Maybe the leadership we have isn't working for us. Um, and you know, it's time to start thinking of something different. And lo and behold, uh, you can have Republicans win in those kind of circumstances. So it, it's one of those things. Like, yeah, it's a blue state, but like, you know, the, these the door swings both ways. Yeah, it's fun to watch. Uh, Terry McAuliffe has been uh, hilarious to watch here as well, and I don't mean that in a complimentary way. Uh, he's uh, all of his uh, emails, uh, you know, fundraising emails up until the convention were. Uh, we got to stop Amanda Chase. We got to stop Amanda Chase. And then after the voting, there was some uh, chatter that uh, Pete Snyder might end up as the nominee. He's like, "Did you know that Pete Snyder's actually worse than Amanda Chase?" And now it's we cannot let Glenn Youngkin buy this election. So uh, you know. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> You're both live in McLean, which is uh, not exactly... Uh... They're neighbors, practically. <laughs> yeah, seriously. He didn't return my leaf blower. That's why you shouldn't vote for that. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure those guys don't uh, do their own yard work, but that's okay. Ah, good uh... point, yeah. <laughs> His hired help didn't return the leaf blower. They borrowed from my hired help. <laughs> it's so hard to find good help these days. Oh, well, you know, if you live in McLean, things are usually uh, pretty comfortable, but you don't have to live in McLean uh, to get comfort elsewhere. And uh, that includes uh, with your underwear, quite frankly, because when you're wearing Tommy John's hammock pouch underwear, you're that much more comfortable so you can do everything better. That's why Tommy John doesn't actually have customers. 
They have fanatics, fanatics that call Tommy John's hammock pouch one of life's greatest inventions. Yes, listeners, we're talking about underwear today. Mm-hmm. And with dozens of comfort innovations, once you've tried Tommy John underwear, you're never going back. Like an air mesh interior hammock and moisture wicking fabric with four times the stretch of competing brands and with more than 13 million pairs sold, it is clear that people are seeing why Tommy John underwear is the best. Tommy John underwear has a non-rolling waistband for the perfect fit, the legs never ride up, and you are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or it's free guarantee. And right now, Three Martini Lunch listeners will get 20% off your first order at TommyJohn.com slash martini. That's 20% off your first order of underwear and loungewear. So comfortable, that loungewear. At TommyJohn.com slash martini. TommyJohn.com slash martini. See the site for details. Uh, This is really comfortable stuff. You will not regret it. Uh, The loungewear, uh, the underwear, it's all fantastic products. TommyJohn.com slash martini. All right, Jim, let's talk about our bad martini here, which is really the same bad martini we had yesterday, but the problem seems to be getting quite a bit worse, and we knew it would, and that's the fallout from the uh, cyber hacking of the Colonial Pipeline, which has shut down production. It's uh, essentially the pipeline for 17 states in the eastern part of the U.S. and the District of Columbia. The situation has not been resolved yet. We read yesterday from the reports of how Colonial was saying we're not firing this production back up until we know that uh, we're complying with all these federal regulations and so forth. And so at the press briefing yesterday, the uh, Biden White House was asked, you know, what advice do you have for Colonial? Should they pay the uh, ransom this that this dark side uh, hacking outfit wants to collect in order to uh, free up the pipeline? What's your what's your advice here? And here's the response from Ann Neuberger, the deputy national security advisor for cyber and emerging technology. So first, we recognize that victims of cyber attacks often face a very difficult situation and they have to just balance often the cost-benefit when they have no choice with regard to paying a ransom. Colonial is a private company and will defer um, information regarding their decision on paying a ransom to them. So, Jim, her response is, yeah, we'll just have to see what Colonial does on that. There doesn't seem to be any sort of urgency on the part of the White House. Yeah, it's a private sector situation, but you'd think they'd at least be consulting, trying to figure out a workaround while Colonial makes a decision about how to respond to the hacking and so forth. And just, you know, dealing with this issue, other than the fact that they're allowing uh, tanker drivers to accumulate more hours and work on less sleep, which is nice, but it's not going to be the ultimate solution to this problem. We've already got a state of emergency declared in North Carolina. We've seen anecdotal evidence of gas stations already out of gas in South Carolina. So this is going to get worse and it could get worse in a hurry. You know, uh, <laughs> I don't know if, if, you know, tanker truck drivers driving long hours on less sleep is necessarily nice. I think it's probably necessary, <laughs> you know, but one of those things where uh, we'd rather not be in this situation. I- I'm not going to be enormous. Biden got a few questions about this at the end of his economic remarks yesterday. It was very clear. He's like, oh, I've been totally briefed. I've been totally briefed, but I have no idea. Uh, We've got it all totally under control and and kind of the usual uh, meaningless boilerplate you kind of expect from the president in a situation like this. Look, no one turns to 70-some-year-old Joe Biden to handle. How do do we deal with this hacking issue uh, of this pipeline? I think it does raise really serious questions of how did we end up becoming so dependent upon this one pipeline? There are, by the way, all, I, I, Kevin Williamson wrote about this in his uh, weekly newsletter a bit. There are other pipelines that run on kind of similar routes and you can get it through, but they simply don't have the capacity to make up for taking this pipeline off. 
Um, now, the funny thing is we've been talking about this, oh, cybersecurity, cybersecurity for a really long time. And unfortunately, clearly it's not there yet. And there's, I think it was the uh, Krebs who was the head of the, uh, one of the cyber infrastructure divisions within the government uh, dismissed by Trump shortly after the election. Krebs was saying, we're going to get a pandemic of this stuff. Now, I, I, I don't know if that's a, you know, shoehorned in use of the word pandemic because he wants to stand out. But, you know, look, we've seen everything from the OPM hack to data breaches of every kind. But now, now it's starting to get into like stuff that really affects our lives. And the question is, OK, this time it was a pipeline. Next time, are they going to try to deal with traffic lights? Next time, are they going to try to deal with uh, air traffic control? Uh, I, I will avoid too much discussion of the deeply disappointing Die Hard 4 um, but just kind of that record, like once you begin to realize how much our lives are reliant upon computers and networks and the internet, and they are reliant upon, uh, you know, cybersecurity and the ability, the machines are going to do what you want them to do. Um, apparently as literally as we're having this conversation, Greg, coming across the, uh, the Twitter wire, so to speak, is that the Associated Press says there is a ransomware gang threatening the release of Washington DC police records. Hey, um, Greg, aren't they supposed to be subject to FOIA anyway? <laughs> you think so? Is, is that what you have to do to get FOIA requests these days? Like, oh, government's taking forever to, to release those public records. Maybe I better go work with a ransomware gang. No, don't do this, reporters. It's wrong. Anyway, the you know, the idea of once this succeeds, you're going to get more of it. And I was really kind of struck by the fact the Biden administration didn't have any statement on whether or not they should pay the ransom. Apparently, much like with um, uh, kidnapping of, of uh, corporate employees, overseas, the increasingly common thing to do is to pay the ransom. That's the simplest, easiest way to make sure you have the, uh, the safe outcome and you don't have the worst possible outcome, particularly when lives are at stake. Well, if you, give, if you pay the Dengeld, the Dengeld comes back and asks for more money. If you reward people for, for doing ransomware attacks, you're going to get more of them because it turns into an easy way to get lots and lots of money out of big institutions. So I'm really frustrated by this. And let's point out, like I, I was, saw some coverage from the um, New York Times said, well, we haven't really seen gas lines and price hikes. Some folks were saying it went up 10 cents overnight in their neck of the woods. That seems pretty big. Uh, it also seems like some people were talking gas lines. I do wonder though, Greg, if some of this is a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy that people hear about this news, they hear that it's going to drive up prices in a couple of days. They go out because they want to fill up their tank before the prices go up. And of course, the gas station, instead of having, you know, uh, 95 to 105% of a normal day's uh, uh, demand for gasoline, all of a sudden it jumps up to 120% or 130%. A lot more people asking for gasoline, the pipes run out, and all of a sudden it turns into the self-fulfilling prophecy. Uh, that's not, that's not good. As I mentioned yesterday, we're uh, headed on vacation, I think, uh, later this week, so we'll find out. Uh, Mrs. Columbus and I have also been watching... Uh, 24 and we're just watching season three now where uh, chloe o'brien figures out a way to circumvent the worm launched by nina myers into the ctu mainframe um i hope chloe's available because uh we might need her to solve this issue that the darksiders have uh thrown in our way here so we'll find out let's talk about our next uh sponsor that brings us much comfort and that is my pillow you can wrap yourself in the soothing soft feel of my pillow towels and right now the six-piece towel set from my pillow is regularly 109.99 but you can get it for $44.98 a massive savings especially when you use our code martini at mypillow.com you know the my pillow towel sets are made from proprietary technology that is highly absorbent and is soft without that lotiony feel 
They are made from cotton grown right here in the United States. They're available in a variety of colors and they have a 60 day money back guarantee as well as a one year limited warranty. Now each set includes two bath sheets, two hand towels and one two pack washcloth. Yeah, the towels are as good as you're going to find. Uh, better, I would say. I use them all the time. Super soft, super fluffy, and the best part is they get you dry really, really quickly. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener square, enter the promo code MARTINI, or call 800-874-0104. While you're there, take advantage of the deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the Giza Dream bed sheets, the MyPillow premium pillows, and the new My Slippers. Get your MyPillow six-piece towel set for just $44.98, but you can only do it with our promo code, Martini. Don't forget that when you call 800-874-0104 or visit MyPillow.com today. All right, Jim, let's talk about the New York Times in a different context. They seem to be kind of missing the point when it comes to uh, gas lines and prices, because in different parts of the country, we are seeing that, whether it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, which it could be. Uh, But they're also revealing some very important information that the CDC uh, kept from us for some reason. And that's the extraordinarily low likelihood that you could have ever transmitted covid Outside, they had been talking about likely transmission rates around 10%. Turns out it's more like 0.1. And in terms of just casual passing by, there is not a single confirmed case of COVID from just walking past someone outside uh, over the past year plus now. So, uh, Jim, that would have been nice to know. I think a lot of us just did it anyway because, you know, common sense suggests the likelihood of transmission in that situation is pretty low. But uh, the CDC has been feeding us a line for a long time on this. Good on the New York Times for setting it straight. Yeah, and let's point out, you know, you and I are not usually in the business of giving a lot of credit to the New York Times, but David Leonhardt has now, this is the second time he has touched the live wire, uh, the third rail, you could say, of this because, you know, the New York Times readers are not monolithic, but, you know, they rep- they're they heavily based in the New York City area. They're heavily left to center. Uh, although I guess you could say as they become more and more of an online focused institution, I guess you could say their audience is more national, but they're very much on the left and they are very much on the, I don't want to say COVID-19 panic, but, but co- certainly do not underestimate this. And for a long stretch, I was among those saying, hey, we can't underestimate this. But you know, now that we're vaccinated, in fact, more and more Americans are getting vaccinated, we can start resuming going back to more and more normal activities. Uh, we don't need to wear masks everywhere. We can reopen the schools, as mentioned. And it's interesting, you know, lately, you know, David Leonhardt has made you know, second done this again. I almost wonder if he, you know, he's having that enjoying. <laughs> he's he certainly he's, no one has given him a talking to saying, don't do this. Now that having been said, I do. If you look at the comments section, there aren't a ton of comments yet, thankfully, so far. But one of while I'll agree that outdoor transmission is not much of a risk, it doesn't mean that wearing masks outdoors is totally ridiculous, you know. Um, and then the other one is, I think what your analysis ignores the near impossibility of actually confirming a cases of outdoor transmission. So outdoor transmission could be happening, Greg. We just can't measure it. It's impossible. <laughs> it's you know, it's imp- it cannot be detected that way. But it could still be happening. You know? Um, the other one, which I kind of saw, which was, you know, so you can kind of see people really, oh, and then somebody's my favorite one, again, no one says don't read the comments, but you know, you know, even if it's one tenth of 1% chance of getting infected with COVID outdoors, that's still one in a thousand. Okay. That's far more likely than winning the Powerball jackpot. Was anyone arguing that your chances of catching COVID were, were, uh, less likely than the Powerball jackpot? No. 
No, right? I mean, and if I that's don't the standard. Think, uh, we're going to be wearing this stuff forever, <laughs> right? I, I don't think the most. Uh, I think even Alex Jones was like, "Oh yeah, no, it's much bigger than that." <laughs> you know. So who who are you arguing with? Who said it, you know outdoor transmission was rarer than winning the Powerball jackpot? Um, so there's some people are not ready for this message. Some people are just yeah. And by the way, this is you know a, you know the idea that we still need to wear masks and you still need to wear you know keep six feet away from people even if you're vaccinated. That vaccination changes everything. You know, Greg, in the old days we used to call it a faith based initiative. Oh, what is it with these people? I mean, I understand that uh, you want to be safe and you've gotten into your routine, but when the evidence comes in, the refusal to uh, to change your perspective, especially after being vaccinated, uh, just boggles the mind, boggles the mind. I've said it before and I'll say it again, whether it's, it's just been exposed or it's the result of the last 14 months, uh, mental issues are going to be a plague on the society uh, in the months and years to come. Uh, you can just see it. I know we're wrapping up, but I actually have one last thought that's an observation on this. So there was this fascinating study came out after a couple of months into this pandemic where people, they looked at people who had uh, chronic depression, people who had anxiety issues, people who really, like, people figured at this and said, uh, oh my God, you know, like if these people have these problems when they're normally living, how are these people doing in a pandemic? This must be severe. And, and there were people who were having really, just really struggling to get through the day. But they found a significant chunk of them. I want to say it was 40%. Don't quote me on that. It, it could be, but it was a significant, actually felt better during the pandemic than they did before the pandemic. And they were trying to figure out what this was. And I kind of wonder if you walk around with this um, anxiety-ridden, gloomy, the sky is falling, today's the day, everything goes wrong. And actually it does. And things suddenly go terrible. It feels kind of reassuring. It means you were right all along. It means your constant anxiety was well-founded and you weren't just doing this to yourself for no good reason. So I don't think this necessarily explains all of the mentality that some people are bringing to this pandemic, but I do kind of feel like if you are a hyper-cautious person, up until about March, 2020, your friends and your family and your peers and everybody else gave you a lot of grief for that. And then all of a sudden in March, 2020, you are the prophet. You are the smart one. You are the one who's been exhibiting good judgment. All There was a... Um, Greg, I finally came across this. They did a video about the cast of Monk with Tony Shalhoub as the obsessive compulsive detective getting <laughs> right, together right. in the pandemic. Yep. And the joke was that he wanted to keep six feet distance from his computer. <laughs> um, and so the idea was that this was a germophobic, you know, obsessive compulsive guy to begin with. And now imagine him in the... Uh, uh, imagine him in the pandemic environment. And it was just kind of this thing where the, 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 cat, the, the cast member is playing their old characters. And well, Monk, you were right all along. I guess, I guess you, you can, you, this is your chance to say, see, I told you so, you know. So I kind of wonder if some of these people have been kind of locked into this. And look, it felt good to be vindicated. It felt good for everybody to say, oh, I guess the, the people who were hyper careful really were smart and really knew what they were doing all along. And it's very tough to let go of that. And just because the circumstances on the ground are, are changing, it doesn't mean that those people who felt very, very right at the beginning of the pandemic are ready to change their feelings and let go of this sense that they were the ones who were truly wise all along. It's like people who can't take yes for an answer. It's good news. It's good news. Just go. Just do it. Jim, uh, crazy day as always. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg.
Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. Tell your friends about us as well. We're grateful for that, as well as your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Also get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. You can also find us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Tuesday, and please join us on Wednesday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Hi, it's Dana Lash, host of The Dana Show. Every day, I'm here to keep you up to speed on the most important stories and info that you need to know in your very busy life. And if you're always on the go and you want to stay connected, just download our daily podcast and take it with you. It's a great way to get up to speed on what you need to know and what legacy media may not be telling you. Visit danaradio.com and click on the podcast link or subscribe at iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.